Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fantasy Consigliere Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Chapin. As I've done the past couple of weeks, we'll go through the Week 7 schedule and hit on every game. Remember, there are six teams on bye for Week 7. On Thursday night, the Browns will likely be without Nick Chubb, and they already won't have Kareem Hunt. So Dearness Johnson and Demetric Felton should split the workload versus Denver. Those who have listened for the very first episode know that I'm high on Felton in particular. My comparison for him coming out of UCLA was Reggie Bush. That said, Denver could be a tough matchup, and I'd expect Johnson to get most of the early down work. I'm also high on Johnson as a player, as he shine whenever given an opportunity. But I don't have either player in the RB2 ranks for a tough matchup versus Denver. I'd expect Nick Chubb not to play on Thursday, but to be back for Week 8. And I would say now is a good time to buy low on him, as with Hunt out, the goal line carries will all be his, and that was really the only thing holding him back from high-end RB1 value. Baker Mayfield is also looking shaky for this week, and even if he plays, the shoulder has clearly been an issue, so it wouldn't be surprised if Case Keenum saw action if Mayfield struggles again. Until the Browns get improved quarterback play, it's tough to count on Odo Beckham Jr. to be a significant factor. On the other side, Noah Fant mostly contributed in garbage time for Denver, but he was clearly frustrated last week, and I expect he'll be more of a factor in future games. The Browns not having standout rookie linebacker Jeremiah Uusu-Koromoa makes this a much more favorable matchup for Fant. Now moving to Sunday, we'll finally get a chance to sleep in on the East Coast with the London games concluded. Carolina wants to be more run-heavy, Matt Rule says, so that's obviously good news for Chuba Hubbard, and Royce Freeman should also get a boost onto the flex radar. Hubbard in particular, I believe I have as my RB9 for this week, and the Giants' run defense has been a soft spot. At quarterback, Sam Darnold hasn't played well in recent weeks. I don't think they'll force the issue to Robbie Anderson like they did in Week 6, so look for the targets to slam back towards DJ Moore remains a wide receiver one option. With less passing, the hope is Darnold will again use his legs like he did to start the season. Still, I'd say it's difficult to trust either him or Daniel Jones in this matchup, but long term in particular, I would invest in Jones and there should be opportunities to buy if the ship sinks even further in New York. At 1-5 and and with a difficult rest of season schedule, I would actually be surprised if the Giants didn't blow things up in the offseason. Though a new potential regime could like what they've seen out of Jones, who has really yet to have his full supporting cast healthy around him. Going to the other New York team, the Jets have a rematch versus the Patriots on Sunday, and I think they need to get Denzel Mims and Elijah Moore going out of the bye, and Tevin Coleman should also get more touches at running back. If Wilson struggles again against New England, after a four-interception outing in the first matchup, I'd look to buy low in Dynasty Leagues. I believe in the talent, and impatient owners might look to sell after six games, which would be a mistake. Different position, obviously, but Damian Harris is an example of a player that started slow. He basically redshirted his first year, but he has 100-yard rushing games in 5 of 16 appearances since the start of 2020. Harris basically split with Ramondre Stevenson against the Cowboys, but the hope is that was due to health, and New England will want to run the ball. When they do throw, Hunter Henry has become a favorite target of Mac Jones, and he scored in three straight games. He's maybe the only player other than Harris that's worth every week consideration as a low-end tight end one. Chiefs at Titans will have plenty of fantasy options in consideration to start, and that includes Ryan Tannehill in a spot to finally blow up, especially if Julio Jones could get healthy after dealing with a hamstring injury at the end of Monday night's win. A.J. Brown came alive with 91 yards in the second half last night, and I have him back in the top five at wide receiver. For Julio, you almost have to sit tight and hope he gets healthy, but he should be considered a low-end wide receiver too or flex option right now. For the Chiefs, Darrell Williams looked great last week in place of Clyde Edwards-Elair, and he's arguably an RB1 option right now and a rest of season flex with a potential split when Edward Zeller is back. The Chiefs giving it to him around the goal line is a great sign. Josh Gordon is someone who hasn't been involved and looks droppable, but I'd give it more time. They didn't sign him for no reason, 
and Kansas City is still likely working him back into shape. You can do worse than a former All-Pro as an end-of-bench stash. Washington at Green Bay, Taylor Heineke struggled last week. He looks difficult to trust with Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas injured. That said, I expect Terry McLaurin to get back on track, and Green Bay's cornerback group remains a weak point without Jair Alexander. Behind McLaurin and Ricky Seals-Jones, who remains a tight end one option, J.D. McKissick should be an RB2 play against a Green Bay defense that allows receptions to opposing running backs. For Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense, I expect a monster game from him and Devontae Adams, but other than them, I'd have a difficult time trusting anyone in the passing attack. Robert Tunyon's been too quiet for too long to strongly consider, and Randall Cobb was held without a catch against the Bears. Next up, Atlanta at Miami. Mike Isicki caught 8 of 9 targets for 115 yards last week, and he could be a total monster if Miami finally uses him in the red zone. Perhaps the hopeful return of Devontae Parker leads to less attention for Gasicki, but either way, he needs to stay in lineups as a borderline top five tight end. For the backfield, Miles Gaskin looks impossible to trust, and I wondered last week if Tua returning as a lefty at quarterback impacted his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. There's a good chunk of players on a bye, but I wouldn't feel good about playing Gaskin in lineups for week seven. I would obviously feel good about Cordero Patterson, and Atlanta's offense is in great shape with Ridley back, Kyle Pitts emerging, and Patterson rounding out their big three. I also like Mike Davis as a top 20 play at running back versus a Miami defense that just allowed a big game to James Robinson. To finish off the 1 p.m. slate, you might be skeptical because it came against the Lions, but Joe Mixon looked excellent last week, and his involvement as a receiver in particular is very encouraging. Baltimore's run D hasn't been good in 2021, so Mixon should be a top five play at running back and an underrated DFS option. For the wideouts, Tyler Boyd is difficult to start with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins healthy, so he should be viewed as a low-floor flex. If you need the roster space, I'd say you can even drop him. The health of Latavius Murray needs to be monitored for Baltimore, but all three of him, Le'Veon Bell, and Devontae Freeman finding the end zone last week could be the final nail in the coffin for Tyson Williams emerging in the backfield. The best chance for him to recoup value is likely a trade though there are also veteran options available like Marlon Mack and Ronald Jones, so he might remain buried on the Baltimore depth chart. For the late slate, Lions or Rams will be talked about with Jared Goff taking on his former team. He's in a very unenviable spot, considering the lack of playmakers for the Lions. I'd like to see them use more 21 personnel, and they can use the running game with Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift to slow things down. Los Angeles is going to throw, though, and I'm sure Matthew Stafford, even if they ended on good terms, will want to put up big numbers against his former team and they showed last week against the Giants that they'll throw and play their guys even with the game in hand. We should see a better game for the Eagles taking on the Raiders. Philadelphia sounds set to commit to the running game, so Miles Sanders is a great buy-low candidate as he looks to bust out against an aggressive Raiders defense. Jalen Hurts' presence and the damage he could do on his own as a runner should open up things for Sanders, so I have him as a top 15 running back for Week 7. Sticking with Hurts, fantasy owners can't complain about the production, but I'd like to see more under-center plays and more downfield route combinations to have success earlier in games. Fortunately, the Eagles should get Lane Johnson back on Sunday, and that will shore up the pass protection against a strong Vegas front. For the Raiders' offense, Henry Ruggs hasn't shown any signs of slowing down, and it's easy to picture him getting behind the Eagles' secondary. I currently have Ruggs as my wide receiver 26, and the outlook on Derek Carr is more optimistic than it was when Gruden first resigned. Consider Carr a low-end QB1, and Darren Waller should get going soon. For Texans at Cardinals... Brandon Cooks is the only Houston player worth starting, and the hope is Tyrod Taylor can return to at least boost the running game. We'll see how quickly Zach Ertz gets acclimated in his first game with the Cardinals, but it could take a little time, and Arizona doesn't lack for playmakers. 
I think I'll have definite tight end one value, potentially as early as next week, but I'd hold off for week seven. Even when Ertz is fully in the swing of things, the offense is explosive enough for Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, and Rondale Moore to remain weekly flex options. This week, Kyler Murray might look to get a couple more scores for DeAndre Hopkins against his former team. The headliner for the late afternoon games, Bears at Bucks. Justin Fields didn't have a big game at home versus a depleted group of Green Bay corners, and I doubt he has much more success versus the defending champs. Allen Robinson has to get going eventually, though, and hopefully they dial up a deep shot after Fields missed him on a would-be wide-open touchdown in Week 6. Despite being worried about Fields, both Robinson and Darnell Mooney are in a good spot, and hopefully Chicago can give the rookie quarterback time to hit them downfield. A few extra days to rest up should hopefully have Tom Brady back to normal after the thumb injury seemed to affect him shortly before halftime in their win over the Eagles, and this is a revenge spot versus a Bears team that beat him in 2020. Antonio Brown looks like the number one wideout for the Bucks, but I'd still buy low on Chris Godwin if he's available. For the running games, I know the Bears have mostly been a run-first team, but I don't trust Damian Williams or Khalil Herbert in the matchup, and Leonard Fournette looks like the only option worth considering starting for the Bucks. On Sunday night, the Colts are looking to stay within striking distance of the Titans, but they'll face a rested 49ers team. T.Y. Hilton was a little banged up at the end of his season debut, but he should still be owned in all leagues. It's not crazy to think he will be a low-end wide receiver too if Carson Wentz remains aggressive. T.Y. has always been a Texans killer, but he had 80 yards last week. In the backfield, Jonathan Taylor only had 14 carries against the Texans, but he turned them into 145 yards and two touchdowns, and it's encouraging that he played a season-high 65% of the snaps last week. San Francisco should have Jimmy Garoppolo back at quarterback, but I'd still expect them to establish the run, and Elijah Mitchell, if he was somehow dropped in your league, needs to be picked up immediately. The sixth-round pick handled most of the work in Week 5, He's a mid-range RB2 as long as he dominates touches. I'm still not giving up on Trey Sermon, though, and hopefully after reevaluating things over the bye, it becomes more of a split moving forward. Sermon remains one of my top stashes, and he could pay dividends in November and December. Finishing off Week 7, Saints at Seahawks on Monday night. It's interesting that Seattle has looked into Cam Newton, and I'm not sure what that will do to Geno Smith's psyche. He's played very well in place of Russell Wilson, so even considering Newton with Wilson gearing up for an early return, could lead to Smith pressing things against an opportunistic Saints defense. For the running game, Rashad Penny should return for Seattle, and that will downgrade Alex Collins' outlook as he's banged up against a stingy run defense. Now could be an opportunity to sell high, though the matchup gets better next week against Jacksonville. For the New Orleans passing attack, Jameis Winston will get a boost when Michael Thomas returns, but the former All-Pro is at least a couple of weeks away, so Traquan Smith could be the guy that provides an immediate boost. His downfield skill set would be very welcome against a smaller Seattle cornerback group, but if Smith is still out, Deontay Harris is worth considering as a big play flex flyer. To finish off the episode, I'll name five by-low candidates that would be targeting for teams looking ahead to the playoffs. The most obvious option is Christian McCaffrey. I saw people on social media calling McCaffrey a bum, which is ridiculous, so you know there are frustrated owners out there that you can take advantage of. Other than Derrick Henry, McCaffrey will be arguably the top option to own in the fantasy playoffs. The one concern, other than health, is matchups against the Bucks late in the season. But McCaffrey is too good to even consider moving out of the top five when he's on the field. And it's worth at least checking in if the team owner with McCaffrey is struggling to stay afloat. Next up, A.J. Brown was the target I mentioned last week. But there are still owners that seem to want to get off the roller coaster. I was searching before the game if he would be playing last night with food poisoning the prior day. 
and many of the tweets were people complaining they'll never roster him again because of the frustration. We've seen through three seasons that Brown is a superstar player, so it makes no sense to downgrade him based on a slow start. Brown might not be cheap anymore after a big second half against the Bills, but I'd still be checking in to see what it takes to acquire him. I already mentioned Miles Sanders, and I might even hope that he has a quiet game compared to expectations this week, and then I'd try to acquire him ahead of a matchup against the Lions to close out October. I'm not even a huge Sanders fan, but if he gets touches, which it sounds like Nick Sirianni will want to have happen, he can return definite RB2 value. At quarterback, I'd be looking into Russell Wilson. I'd be surprised if he wasn't back for the Week 10 matchup following the Week 9 bye, and it should be a potential shootout against the Packers. Then he'll take on the Cardinals in Week 11 and Washington in Week 12. So Wilson, if healthy, could immediately hit the field as a high-end QB1. Then, I'm not sure what everyone's playoff schedules are with the Week 14, but he'll take on Houston in Week 14 and Detroit in Week 17. Finally, the time to buy Calvin Ridley was probably before the bye or even before the Jets game, but he's back with the Falcons and Ridley saw target totals of 8, 10, 11, and 13 in four games so far this year. He obviously hasn't been a total stud without Julio Jones, but people have overreacted, and Ridley should still be a mid-range wide receiver one the rest of the way. You can find all our updated rest-of-season rankings at wolfsports.com, and if you're not subscribed, joining Fantasy Consigliere gives you direct access to ask us questions all year long. That will conclude Episode 7. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Dylan Chapin. This was the Fantasy Consigliere Podcast.